Hello and a warm welcome to Be A Bigger Fish. I'm Debbie Aurelius and I'm your host. I'm delighted to say that Tim Rutter and Gareth Brooks from Tata Steel have joined me for this episode today. I've been following the social media feeds that Tim and Gareth run for quite a while and I've been really impressed with their internal communications activity and their passion for the industry that they work in. And this conversation is absolutely full of that passion. I'm really happy to say that Tim and Gareth have started up an in-house podcast, which they've called Steelcast, and which they've been using as a way to connect with their employee groups through the challenging times of the lockdown that's been put in place in the UK to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Both Tim and Gareth share step-by-step processes around how they started up their podcast, how they plan for really rich, engaging conversation in the episodes, and even how they go through the nuts and bolts of recording, editing and publishing their in-house podcast content. There's a genuine warmth and humour and enthusiasm in this episode, which I'm sure you're going to love. And it's going to be such great advice for anybody, not only who's in internal communications, but specifically who is thinking about launching their own in-house podcast. So let's get into the episode. I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Tim and Gareth to the podcast. So welcome both. And would you like to say hello and introduce yourselves? I'm Tim Rutter. I'm uh, Head of Communications based in Portalbert and it's kind of a bit of a hybrid role. Most of what I do is responsible for the internal communications for the UK businesses. There's about 8,000 people in the UK. But joined on with that is a responsibility for the community relations in the UK. So that's sort of local PR, good causes and so forth. Uh, and we've got a little team of, well, including me, there's seven of us, most of us based in Portalbert. Hi, I'm uh, Garth Brooks. I'm the Digital Content Executive for the Internal Communications team at Portalbert. I joined the team about two and a half years ago. I have a background in sort of graphic design and I sort of support a little bit with internal design projects or posters, billboards, that kind of thing. But primarily my sort of day-to-day job has become kind of recording and editing internal videos, internal uh, video interviews and things like that. So I get to go all around our sites. I, I, I've closed some pretty amazing things. You know, I've been right underneath the blast furnace to the very top of the furnace and even into the very centre, you know, it was turned off by being right in the middle of it. <laughs> so they're incredible places I get to go as, as part of my job. And to be honest, it doesn't really feel like work at all. So you know, we're quite lucky, I think. Oh, that's amazing. And it is, it is really incredible, the work that you do. And I know both of you are really great community members for internal communications, because I see quite a lot of the things that you do and the way you encourage other people um, on social media and in internal comms events and that sort of thing. So, you know, personally, I'm really delighted to get this chance to actually speak to you and capture you for the podcast. So thank you so much. One of the things that has happened more recently, I think, um, in what you're doing in internal communications is that you've started an in-house podcast. And obviously, I am dying to hear all about that. So what made you decide to take up podcasting? Very good question. Uh, we've been talking about it, Gareth, haven't we, for, a, for at least a year, I would say. Now, a number of us in the team probably listen to podcasts out, outside of work, on our way to work, at the gym or running. And it reminds me a bit about, I don't know, 10 years ago when we, we started venturing into the world of social media. Before, certainly in the steel industry, it had become uh, a common thing to do. And I guess there's a part of that wanting to get ahead of the curve. You see this technology, you can appreciate it as an individual, and you think, this is just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. 
And although we went out into steelworks and we said to people, do you listen to podcasts? And most people will say no, the workers especially, and maybe we talk a bit about the profile of the workforce. You can't help feeling it's coming and you start to listen to rugby podcasts or Brexit podcasts or things that interest people. And you go, there's parts of people's lives where podcast is a fantastic way of getting to them. And especially when, you know, whenever we're thinking about internal comms in the steel industry, our team's first thoughts tend to be about the workers rather than the office workers, the guys on the shop floor. And there's a lot of them, and a lot of them in work don't have access to digital communications or email, internet, and that sort of stuff. So you look at tools about how you can get to them as an offline audience. And for a number of years, I've spoken at conferences and won awards for our newspaper. So we've been yeah. doing an in-house newspaper for know, 15 years or something. It's 12 pages every two weeks, and it's a great tool for the offline audience. But it's kind of the only one we've got as a central comms team. It's the only tool, really, we've got to get to them. And so we were looking for something else. And so, yeah, we've been talking about it for a while, haven't we, Gak? It's been on Tim's radar for, I'd say, like well over a year. And, yeah, it's, a, it's an attempt to reach all of our workforce, really, but especially those guys that are offline uh, normally. But it would be through, obviously, as a podcast, it would be through their own personal devices in their own time. And you know, it's kind of a big ask, I think, for people to take non-working time to listen to things about work. You know, so will people want to use their own devices, own data, and their own time? But... So I, I've been on board from day one with the idea of having a podcast. But yeah, definitely a great idea, but I have dragged my feet, to be honest. So I didn't want to do it for the sake of it. I wanted to have real substance and for it to be worthwhile. So we're coming up with these ideas, what can we use uh, as a narrative and things like that. And then our community engagement manager, Nia, Nia Singleton, she came up with the idea about interviewing women in the steel industry because there's still an overwhelming male majority in engineering and manufacturing, etc. So we've got plenty of fantastic women in Tata Steel and we thought, you know, share their stories, hopefully inspire the next generation of young women into, into STEM. That would be really worthwhile. But unfortunately, just as we've got the sort of wheels in motion, the whole COVID-19 crisis kicked off. That kind of ground to a halt, really. But then Tim was like, well, yeah, what, what a perfect opportunity to communicate around this coronavirus crisis. So, yeah, we, we took the podcasting while, while working from home. For a number of years, Deb, you know, we'd we'd bitten the bullet about video a number of years ago. And again, for kind of done it in-house and we'd done it for free and we'd done a lot of them and we got up close and personal with real people. And the impact of those was massive. You know, that rich content really showed people sort of what was going on around the site. They'd never usually get the chance to see. But of course, video requires that ability to watch it. And in work for lots of those shift workers, that's quite difficult. And outside work, that was, again, quite difficult because it was that you know, what do you want to put outside the, the business rather than inside the business? So we knew there was something about rich content and, and you know, hearing people's voices and seeing stuff. So, you know, we kind of had that sort of opening and understanding that, that this could work for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's go back to that comment about the makeup of your workforce. Then you talk about trying to imagine the majority of people who don't have access to devices, say at their workplace, roughly what proportion of people would that be? And, and how is your workforce sort of made up? Yeah, so in the UK, there's about 8,000 people in Tata Steel across the UK. So it's Hartlepool, Corby, North Wales, Shotton, we've got Trostra and Clasley, Clamwer and Puttall, that are the, are the big sites, and some R&D facilities and so forth. So of those 8,000, it's about just under 60% of those are shift-based. Right. Different shift patterns on different sites and so forth. But 60% of the shift based. So you'd have shift managers and team leaders and team members. So only recently, really, the team team leaders have got access to email and, and, and they've been shared intranets in the pulpits. But at least 60% of that 60% 
won't have a personal work email address, won't have individual access to the internet or to Yammer. So these are guys like crane drivers, people who work in the cabs, some of the, the shift engineers, you know, some of the, the guys who are the heart and soul of the industry, if you like, are busy out there making steel rather than sitting behind the computer. So there's actually quite a lot of them. Yeah, sure. And and I guess up until this point, it's been the newspaper that's been your primary way of contacting those people. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously they get communications through their line manager. So the cascade of information through the line manager. But inevitably, you know, if you're a shift manager or a team leader talking to your team, you're going to talk to them about how many tons you got to roll, what are the latest safety incidents, you know, which customers are coming through in terms of importance, so on and so forth. You're unlikely to talk to them about, oh, and by the way, lads, did you know we've been doing this in the community? And did you know that this other site has been doing X, Y and Z? The newspaper is a great tool, it's regular, and it was quite a lot of content, and it was in a format you, that was good for them. It was a great tool in giving our employees more of a holistic view about the business. And you got things like posters and billboards on, on some of our sites and so on and so forth, and then face-to-face briefings every now and then. But the newspaper was really the, the key tool to keep those people up to speed with all the things going on in different aspects of the business. Yeah, okay, so bearing that in mind, did you need to make a business case in order to start podcasting? <laughs> uh, uh, no. <laughs> I laugh because I guess while we were developing the concept of podcasting, you know, until we until we had something that we were we we could put to somebody, you know, we weren't ready to do that. And and, and the current crisis is kind of we kind of fallen into it. Not our crisis comes because the opportunity arose. It's difficult to ask about a business case when you're doing something for nothing. And it was a bit like the videos. So we are doing all of this ourselves, all the videos we do. So Gareth's got a camera, Gareth's got a Mac, you know, me and a couple of other guys can stand in front of it with a microphone and and do some videos and it's free. So it's right. just our time. So, you know, what permission do you need to do free stuff? Well, not much, actually. And it's quite a credit to the organisation because I think we've got a culture in the steel industry. It's kind of dare to try thing, especially with current leadership uh, in the UK that uh, they're saying, listen, if it doesn't work, try something else. And it's great. You know, it's a real permission to to thrive in the organization and they trust us you know i've been around 30 years in the steel industry but you know gareth's proved himself time and time again and some of the, the other guys in the team they're well known and they're well trusted they're not going to drop the ball so it's like crack on you guys so, so a huge amount of trust so so no i haven't put a business case together and and if i'm brutally honest it, we kind of fell into it slightly by accident <laughs> because when we all started working from home and we started doing video conferences and stuff you know we understand that the voice of the leader is important so i was going to record a video call with the director in put all but and so i did this interview with him saying this is going to be great i'm going to record it and there'll be a great big picture of him and there'll be a little picture of me in the corner asking the question so people so i recorded yeah. it and when i'd finished it it was a great big picture of me and nothing to do with <laughs> him at all so i was like oh, i can't use this as it is i was like you know, I spent 20 minutes of the hub director's time. You know, this is one of the biggest manufacturing jobs in the whole of the UK. And I've just used 20 minutes of his time. And I've got no output. And I think it was Gareth was saying, well, just put it out as an audio file, uh, which we did onto Yammer, I think, Gareth, that first one, wasn't it? And we kind of treated it as a pilot. Yeah, so what I did, I dropped that audio that you captured into Adobe After Effects. I created a sort of sound wave file, just a little bit more visual and just have an audio file. And then we upload it to Yammer, which again, we've quite taken off with Yammer and we Yeah. If you ask comms professionals and people, you know, in industry and things about Yammer, you, you know, you usually roll your eyes at you and say, oh yeah, it'll never work. And then we really have made Yammer work, I think. And it's just, it's just that attitude of it'll never work. That means it won't work if you're not going to try. And, and we've pushed so much content onto there 
that people now I think head there to Yammer before even our own internet, you know, because the beauty of Yammer is anyone can post, anyone can comment, you can spark off these conversations and things. And yeah, it's, it's re- really, really helped us as, a, as an internal communications tool. Yeah, I mean, it could be a subject for a whole new pod, Debbie, the use of Yammer, because the guy who used to work in our team, unfortunately, passed away a couple of years ago. He said, you know, you build it and they will come. And uh, we decided we we're going to have a real crack at building some real good content on Yammer. And it is just paying us back in spades, especially at the moment when we're not on site. We need content to keep our comms lively. And those people who are on site all around the UK just checking stuff on Yammer. Got new order here, customer there, social distancing here. Look at this video we've done there. And they're checking it all on Yammer. And we could come to and just go in and pull it back and, and, and put it out again. So really reaping the benefits of that, of that investment over the last couple of years. That's brilliant. Do you think that's also sparking a cultural change? You know, if people are prepared to engage in that kind of two-way conversation? I think so, yeah, because initially it was only like the comms important on Yammer initially. And people were coming to us and saying, oh, could you put this on Yammer for me? Could you put it? And we're like, no, the idea is you put it on Yammer. You put it on. You post it yeah. as, as yourself and you start this conversation. And now more and more people just seem to be doing it themselves, you know, and, and chip it in and joining groups and people from different sites are engaging with each other. And, yeah, it's only yeah. good to come of it, really. Yeah, I said in a presentation recently, you know, who doesn't like a like? Yeah. You know, as soon as you post something and someone likes it, it's like, oh, someone's liked it. Oh, I'll put another one on. And someone's commented even better, you know. And they present another great opportunity for us when the coronavirus hit. And, you know, of those 8,000 people, we've now got about 3,000 of those working from home, 2,000 on furlough. And we'll come on to the furlough issue later because it's relevant to the podcast issue. Mm. But with 3,000 mm. people working at home, struggling with our IT, struggling to know what to do with the kids, first thing we do is set up a Yammer group, right? And stealing, stealing a title of a famous Smith song. Um, it was called Home Workers of the World Unite. Uh, right? hundreds of people on this yammer group oh what am i supposed to do with the kids oh i've used this there's some stuff you to do well i can't get my teams working we've got to use our own computers blah 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 and it just became one of the most popular yammer groups on in the uk yeah it's phenomenal brilliant and and how do you think that's feeding into the podcast so do you think that's created a good environment for the podcast to be received into i don't know it's a safe environment i guess was the first thing to say because you you instead of putting a video onto yammer you're putting an audio file onto there and it's only people in the organization who can do it so it gave us a certainly for the pilot but it certainly has created or built on maybe a, a tone of communications and a style of communications in the steel industry which is much more authentic timely real human informal i think wouldn't you say guys it's not it's not a formal forum no, is it really there's no sort of corporate narrative so to speak it's just very much people's opinions their feelings on things I and mean, a lot of people can relate to it you know and i think with the podcast as well as video it's, it's quite a similar thing where people initially were maybe quite scared of looking or embarrassed of looking a bit silly being on camera but time and time again people it's, it's, it's been shown that you're there to sh- share your story we're, we're not as a comms team we're not going to try and make you look silly you know, we want to shout about the great work you're doing and, and communicate that with the rest of it, you know, everybody else. So I think more and more people are sort of more willing to be, you know, in front of their camera or, you know, on the end of a microphone to share these stories with everybody else. People want it to be human, you know. I remember last year, year before, we did a big capital investment programme on the Patalba site about relining a blast furnace and we, we went at it quite big with lots of videos and we went big on Yammer with it. It was a great opportunity. And almost by accident, one of the first Yammer posts we put up had a song title. The title of the yeah, post was a song title. Well, it started a theme, didn't it? For the next six months, almost every single Yammer post had to have a song title, you know. Right. And it was that element of fun in it. 
that people were like, oh, I wonder what the next one will be. I wonder what I can come up with that's a pun uh, that works. So always the hardest bit of the post as well. It'd be like, here's a story, here's a video, but what's a good song to go with this? <laughs> There's only so, so many songs about cranes or black furnaces. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like really difficult. Yeah, but in many ways, it has led into the podcast because you know, there's a huge amount of trust when people see us go and put them on camera and ask them some, you know, interesting questions. They soon understood that we weren't going to, as Gareth said, we're not going to drop them in it and make them look silly. Always they came back and said, oh, it looks better than I thought it was going to look. You know, I showed it to my wife or I showed it to my husband. Thanks for making me look good and sound good and all that. So there's a huge amount of trust. So now if you say to people, we're going to come on our podcast, they'll go, they're not going to, they're not going to put me in here. They, they're going to treat me well. And the style of conversation became one that is reflecting across the UK, which is very informal, very chatty, very authentic. It's early days, yeah, but that's what we're trying to do. Oh, that sounds ideal. It sounds like you're creating the right psychological safety uh, for people to feel like it's a proper person-to-person environment for them to communicate in, which is mm. ideal. Yeah. Well, going back to that year then when you were contemplating starting up the podcast, what sort of thought process did you go through in terms of actual kit? So I know it's one of the points of decision that tends to hold people back. They don't know what hardware to get and how expensive it's going to be. What was that process like for you? So to me, I wasn't really that concerned about kit and things because because my background in video anyway to me it was just a video without the visuals you know so I wasn't that concerned I attended a CIPR course with a couple called Steve and Marina uh, they, they have a company called Bengal Bengal Media they just had a baby as well so massive congratulations to them oh that's lovely yeah Steve's background is in radio I think he worked for BBC Radio for God knows how many years and he, and he really knows his stuff so uh, I happily went with his recommendations he advised us to get a Zoom H6 recorder. It has four external microphone inputs, so that way you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have a host or presenter sharing a microphone with a guest. I think if it's one microphone between two, one one person may sound a little further away. That kind of thing, you wouldn't be able to separate the channels, etc. So we also bought three external microphones, but unfortunately, we haven't actually used that equipment for podcasting yet because of the COVID nineteen crisis. We're all sat at home, so we've been recording, as Tim said, on, online. I looked at ways of doing that. It's like I found this, this website called Zencaster, and a, and a free account would allow a presenter to interview a guest, and each channel would be saved as separate files. And you can even link Zencaster to a Dropbox account as well. So the idea was once once they finish recording, the audio files land directly onto my desktop without anyone else having to do anything. So the ideal setup, really, but. Unfortunately, what I didn't take into account was our network restrictions. So Zencaster isn't one of the sort of whitelisted sites on our network, which resulted in Tim having to record via Teams and Skype. And then in terms of software, I was told about Adobe Audition, which I was sort of happy enough to explore with. I've got the Adobe Creative Cloud package anyway as part of my day-to-day job. That sort of covers the equipment and software. Yeah, brilliant. And then what sort of approach do you take to editing? Under the circumstances of this this podcast, mainly revolving around uh, the coronavirus, the information certainly at the beginning was changing day by day. So it was quite urgent to get these podcasts out there so in a timely manner. So I just went, I resorted to what I know, which is Final Cut Pro for editing videos. I just used that, edit the audio there as I would a video. Out of that, then I'd create the sound wave and put that onto Yammer and things. But more recently, as, as time's gone on, I've had a bit more time to play around. I've, I've been learning Adobe Audition with the help of like YouTube tutorials. There's a guy on YouTube, check him out, called Mike Russell, teach you everything about Audition. 
but somehow the more I learn, the sort of longer the editing seems to take me and like sort of trying these new techniques to make the audio sound a little, just a little bit better. So it's like I'm spending more and more time on it. The thing is with podcasts, the only thing people get to consume is the audio itself. So that's going to be, that's going to be as close to perfect, I think, as you can. Otherwise, you know, it could be a distraction. So when, when it comes to the editing process, I try and take out any long and natural pauses or things like coughs. But I'm not saying I take out every single sigh or cough. I want it to make, make it sound natural. You know, at the same time, it's got to sound authentic. Well, I've listened to your podcast. And I think the sound is excellent. So I think you're doing an amazing job. Thank you. You mentioned earlier that your first podcast you posted on Yammer, where you're currently enjoying quite a lot of dialogue with, with your workforce. Have you continued that? I or have you started to use a different type of podcast hosting service? So everything goes on to Yama and our internet for our internal audience, but also to reach other people who haven't got access to that. We use a site called Podbean. When you create an account and, and, and upload a podcast, you get this RSS link, and you drop that into the likes of Apple, Google, Spotify. Every time you upload a new episode, it, it updates the other, other directories automatically. A little bit of work in the beginning, but once it's done, it's done. And with Podbean... You get to, for free. You do get some stats, but you can also pay something like nine. I think it's like nine dollars a month. Then you get to see more things like uh, how many listens you've had, where in the world people are listening, the user agents, or the you know whether they're listening via a browser or a podcast app such as Apple. So there's quite a lot of insight there with Podbean as well. Yeah, I love the stats that you get on Podbean. I use that too. Um, it's quite motivating, isn't it? When you see the different countries light up, it's uh, it's quite. That's yummy. it. Yeah. So. We expect it, obviously, the UK, maybe Netherlands. Um, but we've also had people from Belgium and Belarus and even Mexico. And it's like, who's listening in Mexico? You know? It's really good. Making that decision then to post the podcast in a public environment, was that a conscious decision? It's one I've been mulling over for a long time, everything since we started thinking about podcasts. And I think I had an article in the Institute of Internal Comms magazine recently, and it said, what's, what, what's the one thing you've yet to work out? And it was... How do you make a podcast, an internal comms podcast, private? And lots of people said, oh, yes, we can do that. We can do that. But it's extremely complicated because all of a sudden you've got to sign people up to it. They've got to put in some sort of employee details. And then you've got to work out what happens when they leave the company. And you've got to encourage them to make the effort to go and sign it up. So, you know, it kind of seemed to me that you either go through that rigmarole and everything you risk going with it, or you can bite the bullet and go public. But when you sit back and take a deep breath and go, okay, what is the risk of putting this in a public environment? We as comms professionals are generally the people who decide what should go external and what should go internal. It's not the engineering director or the manufacturing director or the finance director, it's the comms people. So if, so if I, as head of comms, can't decide and organise a script and an interview that I think is safe to go external, then who is? And so with that in mind and with the coronavirus, and, you know, and again, it's given us a great opportunity in many ways to bite the bullet slightly yeah. bravely. And, you know, I talked to a few people and said it's likely to go external. But you've got to be realistic about it. You know, A, you've got to control the content to make sure you're not sharing anything confidential or sensitive or, you know, or, 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 or untimely. But also you've got to consider the sort of people who are likely to be listening to. What is the level of risk? Yeah. Someone said, oh, the local MP will listen to it. I'll be like, great, glad. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, people in the community might, good. What, you mean families of our workers might listen to it? Fantastic. Oh, I'm quite happy about that. Well, the press might listen to it. Okay, tell them to listen because there's nothing in there they shouldn't know already. I couldn't find out through picking up a newspaper or talking to an employee. So, so the risks are actually relatively low and the benefits of some of those audiences signing up to it are actually big as well. 
And the thing that I guess really swung it for me is when we had to start furloughing employees. And the rules around furlough are quite specific, right? Furloughed employees are not allowed to join work meetings. If they're on a Teams call, you've got to tell them to, to, to not join it. You're not allowed to invite them. You're not allowed to really talk to them much about work directly. You're not allowed to approach them with work to do and so forth. So you've got 2,000 people in the UK who for you know one month, two months, three months, four months could be out of touch with their own organisation. The one way they can keep in touch with what's going on in the organisation is through stuff that's in the public domain. Whatever we post on Facebook, whatever we post on Twitter, whatever we put out as press releases, they can see it as anyone else in the public can do. And that is well within the realms of furlough. So why not put the podcast out there as well? There's nothing in it that's really secret. We're just talking to people about how they're managing their way through this crisis in the different parts of the UK. If you wrote, you know, pros and cons down, I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, You just got to make... Make sure you know what your message is and make sure you stick to it. So. Yeah, I think you've got to, you've always got to remember anything you put out internally, there's always a risk it's going to end up external. There's no such thing really as internal comms, is there? You know? mm. I think it's a good thing. If, if it's not our workforce, if it is the likes of the politicians, or the journalists, and, and just the general public listening to them, it's, it's good because they'll start to learn exactly what is going on in the steel industry instead of these assumptions and you know, we sort of have a... A lot of people have this negative view of the steelworks. And to be honest, I, I did before I started working there. I just had these assumptions that you always see this, where well, I sort of clouds of smoke going up into the sky. But it's not, most of it's just harmless steam, to be honest. But if we can educate people about that, I think it's a very powerful thing. Yeah, I agree. And the other benefit as well, you know, as Gareth will reconfirm, is that when you listen to, you know, like I say, we've only done nine of these things so far, but when you listen to the leaders of the organisation, the stories they're telling, you can't help but feel very positively about the industry and how hard people are working and how, you know, flexible they're working and the passion of the, of the leaders and stuff. Anyone who listens to it will will, will go away th- feeling better about the steel industry than, when, than if they hadn't listened to it. So, so that is very difficult to get across in print sometimes, you know, that sort of passion and emotion and so forth are the written word. But when you hear people talking about it, that, that passion comes across in their voice. So it's got that as well. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. There's so much more emotional content in audio content than there is in written content. Yeah. So how do you decide then on content and how do you choose your contributors to, to come onto the podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think when we were pondering this over the, the previous months, we were saying, oh, look, we really need to line up a, a series of people in advance and maybe record, you know, six or eight so we've got a library and then we can drip them out. And this and of course, when this thing happens, it's like, right, we need one now. You know, we were very keen to represent the whole of the UK. And and now the, the state of Tata Steel in the UK has got eight major manufacturing sites in the UK. So the, the first eight were relatively easy almost. You say, we're going to have one leader from each of those sites. And understanding our audience, you know, some people say, oh, well, maybe you could interview a steel worker. I was like, well, if I was off on furlough or off shift or at home vulnerable or with symptoms, and I want to know what's going on in work, I'm probably going to get that more from the leaders than some bloke on the line who will only have a limited perspective. So so for the early days that we're still probably currently in, we selected the leaders of the sites pretty much to say, okay, what's happening on your site in Shotton or in Corby or in Hartlepool or in Wensfield or Trostra? Because they can give a very good rounded overview. And the story, you know, pretty simple. How are you managing through this crisis? You know, how's business? Some people's business is booming. 
right? You talk to Joe Gallagher down in Trostra who makes steels for packaging, tin cans, they can't make enough. Talk to the automotive businesses, and they're like, well, no one's making cars, there's not much. So there's some real differences in, in their levels of activity and how they're having to manage that with people. And real differences in how they're, you know, people working from home or operational people who are being furloughed and so forth. So there's a sort of a mix between what's going on in the market, how's it affecting you, how are people being flexible, what measures are you putting in place to ensure social distancing. Throughout all of that thread, it's a reinforcement of the steel heroes, really good people working really hard for the sake of the business, for the sake of future generation. This is about motivating our workforce, keeping them in touch with the business, reinforcing that can-do culture, all in it together, steel family thing. So that's really framed the narrative so far. Yeah, yeah I think we're almost one for choice as well, really, when it comes to not so much now around the coronavirus because you want the, the leaders and things, but your regular guys out there, there's so many passionate, enthusiastic people. They got, you know, everyone's got a story, I think. I could easily sit down and interview so many of those people and share their story, and they, and they would be really interesting. So, yeah, like I said, almost fight for choice. I mean, the one that broke that mould, of course, was, I don't know if you saw it, Debbie, but it kind of went viral. The, the guys in the cold mill in Portal that decided they were going to do a song and dance routine to the song Sweet Caroline. Yes. And it was just fantastic. They changed the words, and there was a guy on the guitar, and they were sitting in the middle of a mill. The opportunity was too good to miss, so we got them on a pod, and we interviewed four, four of the main guys to find out how they came up with it, why they did it, and all that. They were awesome they were absolutely brilliant there's treasure everywhere yeah. you know and i'm sure it's the same in every business you've just got to have the attitude to say there is something interesting about everything that everybody does and the steel industry is just rammed full of it absolutely full of it yeah absolutely everything's interesting if you take an interest yeah yeah that's really inspiring and and as the presenter of the podcast tim what what is that like for you like the videos always requires some idiot to stand in front of it with a microphone and trying to take the lead and help people through it and that idiot happens to be me i you know tend to be the one who stands on stage of the briefs and, and and events and stuff and i've been around long enough you know i've got fairly thick skin and i don't mind making an idiot myself or taking those risks and you know i had the advantage of a being that that kind of confident but the other advantage of that i have a I have been around a long time in the steel industry, so I've been, you know, worked on most of these sites. Uh, I certainly know the leaders. You know, one of the guys, I, I was born in the same hospital as him. Really? <laughs> what a coincidence. Yeah. So, so a lot of these people I've known for quite a long time. And I guess my style is is pretty much how it is today. I'm kind of, I am naturally curious about most things. I like talking to people. I'm genuinely interested in what they're doing. But and maybe I'm a natural PR people because I'm trying to give them the opportunity to to show themselves and their businesses at the best. I don't know. I just like having a chat with people. I, I try to treat it a bit like being down a pub. I've talked about this in print as well. It's like, how do we how do we tell a story, like a pub story, about aspects of our business? How do we tell a story in print like you're down the pub? It's probably easier to do it on a podcast or a video down the pub, but yeah. but that's the kind of style I'm, I'm I'm trying to get. But there is a lot of preparation to to do that. But I say it's part of our role as professional communicators, yeah. and part of our role is to is to set that tone and style. You know, at the moment, like I said before, in the UK, we're very lucky that you know pretty much every one of these guys I've talked to on the podcast and our local uh, directors in Portola, they are this style. They are those authentic leaders. They are human. They talk in the same language as everybody else. You know, they don't want things to be too formal and uh, and autocratic. They want to have a chat. They want to admit they don't know everything. They're trying hard. They they feel like part of the team. So it's pushing an open door. And I think I think generally the communications world and business this is a massive opportunity because I think the virus has exposed this need and desire for people to be communicated to 
like they would be talked to down the pub, this genuine, open, honest, chatty, informal style. I think the world of corporate jargon is, I think it's gone. And I think the people who, who, who stick with it are really missing a trick. I, you know, I totally agree with that. I was having a conversation with other internal communications professionals with CIPR Inside last week. And that was one of the really encouraging messages I took from that is people are seeing, because their leaders are giving so many messages from their home. So you see them in their kitchen or in their back bedroom, that people are getting used to that person to person level of dialogue. And, and so are the leaders. It's really shifting that tone. But you have to understand it's not easy. No. You know, it's not easy, especially in the steel industry. If you look at especially the leaders of the steel industry, most of them will be like, me right they've been in the steel industry all their lives for 30 years and quite often people say oh why do people act like that it's like well we've trained them to act like that because for 30 years that's what we've done and if you want to do something different for some people that's quite difficult some people it's very easy so you know you really need to lead the tone of the organization with some confidence and a bit of courage and say look this will be fine don't follow me you'll be fine just come have a chat uh, and as they get into it and they get more comfortable with it, they find that they're actually quite easy with it. And every single person I've had on the podcast, I said, how was it? They said, I quite enjoyed it. Oh, well, of course you enjoyed it, because it's just like talking to someone down a pub about what you do every day. You know your subject better than anybody. Why would you not enjoy telling other people about it? Yeah, That's it. Exactly. Yeah. So what benefits are you seeing then from this podcast? So it's a long journey. And it's incredibly difficult to measure the benefits. And we haven't even thought about measuring anything other than, you know, how many listeners we've got on it. You know, the, the feedback has been universally positive from both those who have taken part in it and those who have listened to it. People have thoroughly enjoyed them. They like the style. You know, they're saying, oh, I'm learning something as well, because for each one, I'm doing a bit of research into it as well. So people are sort of learning something about their own, their own organisation. And the other thing I'm hoping that will come out is people feel more of a sort of a joined up UK business because it's quite easy to get isolated in your own site and look at other sites as a sort of another world, another part of the part of the organization, whereas actually there's a huge amount in common across the UK. Yes, I bet. Physically in terms of supply chains, but similarly culture, you know, most of us used to be part of the old British steel as was twenty odd years ago. But it's just it's you know, there's some sort of there's a fabric there that joins us up. And I think the language that people are talking, the sites that people have heard about, and now they've got some understanding, I think will will bring us together. So, yeah, so I don't know about the benefits yet. I think it's a bit early to say. But for us, Gareth, I think it's been good. Mine, doesn't it? Yeah, like you say, I've, I've learned a lot. One, the technical side of it is like another string to my sort of bone, another, another skill I've learned. But then learning so much more about the industry. I think early on, someone said, Tim, wasn't it? Um, it was nice to hear some friendly voices, I think, between you and right. we're trying to keep people in touch with, with the workplace as best we can under the circumstances. And for me personally, when I come to edit them, from leaders from different sites, some of them I've never met, I've never visited a couple of the sites, for instance. And it just, just keeps me excited. It's like, I can't wait to go back. I can't wait to, you know, go around these sites and uh, meet the people and see, and see what's going on there. Yeah. One of the uh, HR directors who's based up in Corby, who uh, uh, can come sometimes be quite sceptical about a piece of communication. He sent a note to his peers around his leadership organisation saying, you ought to have a listen to these. These are great. And I know the hub director's down in Patal, but he goes for a walk every morning before he goes online. And he makes a point of listening to them on those walks uh, when they're published. And to be fair to him, he writes to everyone who's taken part. And he said, listen to your pod this morning, loved it, thought it was great, thought I'd learned something. So... There's some real sort of really good sort of, at least at a senior level, some really good interaction about seeing this as a 
an additional new effective way of, of sharing a story. So. That's super. Honestly, I think that'll make such a difference having people being contacted personally and thanked for their contribution. That's that's huge. Yeah. I mean, doing the research for the podcast, what I've been trying to do in, in lots of them is to try and do a sort of short history of some of the sites that we've been yeah. covered. And that's been interesting for me and I think for the listeners as well. You know, steel industry has got a very rich heritage and history, interesting history. And and sort of as the prequel to each of the podcasts, I've been saying, you used to have this many sites and this many people and they used to do this and this fell away and this was built and all that sort of stuff. And I think wasn't really trying to design it as an educational forum but I was trying to give it some perspective about the place it is now to where where it has been so so for me that's been quite interesting and uh, of course the numbers of people who can give you that information are are dwindling yeah, yeah. so I rely on a on a select few people to say you've been around a long time what what, what happened there 30 or 40 years ago you know yeah well that's been interesting I've really enjoyed yeah, for that. me one of the interesting things is like on our Talbot site we have um, on the hot mill we have the, in big letters the pride and passion of Welsh steel making but since listening to these podcasts it's just evident that the pride and passion is throughout the UK really every single site they're all passionate about the industry everyone wants it, wants it to survive not only for them but for the, the next generation of things and, and that and that's really infectious i found since since starting two and a half years ago the whole steel industry is just so passionate and a positive place to be despite all the negative things you hear in the press it's such a positive family to be part of and don't know why i find it so amazing really but every single leader we're pretty much saying the same things you know they're based in different sites they probably don't talk as much as you may think they do but they, a lot of them had very much the same message, and I found that quite interesting to hear. That's great. What a great point of unity as well. When you were talking earlier about trying to break down the, the silos that geography can kind of create, you know, and get people to realise that it's one industry. So, yeah, mm. that's really good. So, what are your aspirations and hopes for the future of your podcast? Get some music. I'm desperate to have some music because, you know, in the last year I got to listen to quite a lot of pods uh, in my journey to work. So I live in Cardiff and I work in Petalbert. So, so 50 minutes each way. And I got I got into podcasts quite a lot, especially political podcasts and, and that sort of thing. And of course, they've all got music and sometimes they break it up with a piece of music. I'm like, we need music, guys. We need music. We need music. I think to get some other people to host it, you know, I, I you know. Like I said, I'm happy to have a crack and start this thing and get the ball rolling. But actually, I'd like all of my members of the team to host pods. I think Nia, who's our community relations manager, is going to do a set around women and steel, which would be great. It's open-ended, I think, Debbie, because the, as we said earlier, the opportunities for telling stories is massive. And you know, if we can make it easy for people, then people are really, really interested in this stuff. I mean, really interested. This is, you know, you go on Facebook and there's groups for retired steel workers and a photo archive of Lamwern and shot in history. And just genuinely people who have worked in the industry or been around the industry are interested not only in what has happened in the past, but what's happening today. And I, I, I can just see it going from strength to strength, really. Yeah, so as, as Tim mentioned, the sort of the next series, I think, is going to be this Women, Women of Steel um, podcast hosted by Mia Singleton. Oh, brilliant. And that podcast itself, at Women of Steel, uh, they've been recorded, I believe, as of today. And they'll be launched, hopefully, in time for International Women uh, in Engineering Day, hopefully to encourage um, more young women into uh, pursuing a STEM career, really. 
brilliant and what a great idea you know to hand over the mic and get some women women in steel to talk on the podcast that sounds fantastic too before we come to the end of our conversation from everything you've learned from your podcasting journey to date what hints and tips would you pass on to anybody who's thinking about taking up podcasting for internal comms too so I went on a course in London hosted by a guy called Steve Crescenzo, who you, Debbie, may have come across. Yes, yeah. He's one of my communications heroes. And at the end of this, he was talking about social media. And at the end of the course, he, he said, I have two words of advice for you. Do something. Right? It's stuck with me ever since. Right. Do something. And the pod world is, is for me. What I've learned is you can do it for nothing pretty much. The technology shouldn't be a barrier to you. Yes, it would be nice to have all the microphones and all that sort of stuff, but you can do it for pretty much nothing. Prepare. I just think if you think you're just going to go and open up the mic and have a chat with people, A, it's not fair to the person you're interviewing because they don't know what's coming, so you won't get the best answers out of them. Help them through it. So I tend to kind of write out some questions and some ideas of the sorts of things I'm expecting them to talk about in response to that question, so they've got some advance notice of it. But don't necessarily stick to the script, you know. I think if the conversation goes to a place, then follow it. It's very difficult when you know you're being recorded. It's like when you, as soon as the camera light goes on the camera, you freeze, don't you? Very, very difficult to be natural and, and so forth. But try and just treat it like a conversation, really. It'll, it'll come across much more naturally. Yeah, ask the questions people want to hear as well. You know, I know it's a PR, a PR exercise in a way. You know, you're there for a, for a purpose, which is a promotional purpose. But don't forget your audience, you know. This isn't a strategy presentation. This is trying to uncover a bit more information that, you know, 300 words in a newspaper article doesn't tell you very much, right? It tell you essence. You know, videos, you're never going to do a, really, you're going to do an internal video that's longer than sort of four or five minutes, right? Podcasts, you can get away with being a bit longer because of where people listen to them. So you can go into a bit more detail. You can uncover people's personalities. You can have a bit of a joke with people. It's a bit of a luxury. You do have that time, so... So definitely prepare, definitely help the person through it by giving them some advance notice of sort of things you want to talk about. Um, so have a go. What's the worst that can happen? Well, dare to try, as your, your motto was at the beginning, which I've written down and I will keep forever. <laughs> so I think that's great, yeah. I agree with Tim there. Just, just, just get on with it. Just do it. I dragged my feet for ages waiting for that good idea. I think from a technical perspective, don't be too precious, especially right now. I think now more than ever, people are going to be a little bit forgiving of mistakes or the audio quality not being so good because we're all working remotely. But like Tim said, it doesn't have to cost the earth. You know, we could easily do... At the moment, we're just doing it on earbuds with with microphones on, on the end of them. You know, it's not proper proper mics and the, the Zoom H6 recorder. It's literally to our computer, internet connection. Zencast is free. If, if your network restricts it, overcome that. We use Teams, we use, we use Skype. If you can't use that, then use your phone. It does cost a bit for the Adobe Creative Cloud suite, but then there's free versions out there of audio editors. I think Audacity is one of them, I think, you know? That's right, yeah. Podbean's free for a, for a certain upload into a certain amount of, of, of audio and things like that. So cost shouldn't be a barrier. It's just having that good idea uh, and just having the courage to try, really. You know, be prepared to fail and try again. Brilliant advice. Thank you. It will be funny doing one face-to-face, mind. That's going to be odd, bizarrely. I know, <laughs> yeah. We haven't actually done one in the same room yet. (laughs) Well, this has been amazing. I've so enjoyed this conversation. If anybody would like to look up the podcast or get in touch with either of you, where's the best place for them to go? So they can look up Steelcast on Apple, Spotify, 
uh, or wherever the people get their normal podcasts. We chose the name Steelcast because it has multiple, multiple connotations. So a sort of a cast of players, you know, which is the Steel family, but also we actually cast steel in the Steelworks as well. So, and then of course the podcast as well. Okay. So Steelcast is the name of the podcast. Uh, and we promote it through uh, Tata Steel UK's um, social media feeds, so through Facebook and Twitter as well. Thank mm. you so much for sharing that. Your enthusiasm was infectious, and I, I am going to go and listen to some more of your podcast episodes, um, which I've been really enjoying. So genuinely, thanks for sharing that with us, and I hope you will come back and tell us about your experience further down the line sometime. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for Debbie. Thanks for invite. Excellent. Oh, you're welcome. You take care now. Speak soon. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. I'd like to say a huge thanks to Gareth and to Tim for all that insight and all that genuine passion. It was such a great fun conversation to have and I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. I'm happy to say that the first episode of Women in Steel is live at the time of publishing this episode, so they really do dare to try. And I recommend that you head over to the Steelcast or the Women of Steel podcasts and tune in and have a listen. If you want to get in touch with me, you're most welcome to find me on Twitter, where I'm at Debbie Aurelius, or on Instagram, where I'm at PeppermintFishC, or you can head over to my website, that's PeppermintFish.com, where you'll find some show notes and some links to the resources mentioned in this episode. Thank you so much for listening. It's lovely to know that these podcasts are helping the internal communications community and I'm looking forward to bringing you more episodes soon. Stay safe and take care. Bye-bye for now.